0: This is a Radio.com original.
1: This is the Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles.
2: And I'm Mike Simpson.
1: And we're talking, of course, about the global coronavirus pandemic.
2: Can we trust what we hear from the CDC or the Trump administration? Message and information seems to change between the two. Does the president want to trust his chief scientists and medical advisors? We'll get into what's going on there and how we can figure out what to believe and what to dismiss. Should drug companies be more transparent? When it comes to the vaccine development
1: process, it might make us all feel, you know, a little better.
2: Medical debts piling up on people in the U.S. for decades now. Pandemic is making it even worse.
1: And more and more movie theaters starting to open, at least in many places. Are the new safety measures actually working?
2: The housing markets might be getting a little weaker. We'll get into that and if we'll see another stimulus bill before the election.
1: Let's get back to the CDC and the Trump administration. Dr. Richard Besser is president and CEO of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. He served as acting director of the CDC. That was during the Obama administration. Doctor, uh, thanks for being with us. The CDC changed its testing guidelines back after changing them before. So what is going on?
3: Well, you know, this is unprecedented. Uh, when, when I was at the CDC and... and uh, afterwards, when Dr. Frieden was the director of the CDC, uh, the the typical approach was that CDC led during a public health crisis and was out front talking to the public every day. So when the agency was learning something new and was moving forward with changing guidance, there'd be the opportunity for them to explain what they'd learned and why the guidance was changing and the opportunity for, for good journalists to question and say, why? What's happening here? Why should people do something differently? Here, during this crisis, that's not been the case. And so we see uh, new guidance appearing on CDC's website, uh, and then it's left to others to try and figure out why this change took place. I think the current guidance where they, where they landed today, is the right place. Uh, and then what they say in that guidance is that anyone who's had significant exposure to someone who is positive for COVID-19 should get tested. And, and the reason for that is that even if you don't have symptoms, it's possible that you're infected with the virus. And people who, who are infected and don't have symptoms can still spread it to others. So if we want to get this under control, you really want to be able to track where the infection has gone. What happened at the, in, in late August is they backed off on that and said, well, if you don't have symptoms, you don't necessarily need to be tested. And it, you know, it appears that that change was due to some political interference
2: yeah the reporting we, is that yeah. it came from HHS you know the the parent department. why would that happen? Why would they go and change the website for the CDC?
3: Well I mean that's that's the big question. you, you never want to see that happen. you want to, you you want people to feel comfortable that what is being put forward by CDC represents their best their best analysis and guidance based on based on public health science. And without them being able to be out front explaining what's going on, you, you lose that and you, you lose trust. You know, this has been a, a very challenging period for the C D C where they haven't been able to use one of their most powerful tools and, and that's their
1: voice. And, and, of course, let me add, it's not just the CDC. Of course, the, the FDA has had its share of controversy in the past few months. And that brings me to, to this question, Dr. Besser. We, in our last segment, were talking about eventually, hopefully, uh, effective vaccines. And for people to take them when and if they are available is going to require, the polls are showing this, a lot of trust on the part of yeah. Americans, on the part of people in the rest of the world, trust in these institutions, such as the CDC, such as the FDA. What's been going on is not exactly a formula for That's trust.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean, that that is a really big problem. I, I'm so glad you say when and if. Uh, because there's this assumption that we absolutely will have a vaccine against COVID-19. I'm optimistic we will, given the amount of energy that's going into this. But if you, but if you look over the past 20, 30 years, and some of the, the infectious agents that have caused the most devastation around the globe, HIV, malaria, and hepatitis C, and dengue fever, scientists have, have tried to create vaccines for those for decades, and we still don't have one. So, you know, until the trials are in and we know that a vaccine works, and we know that it's safe, using the word if is really important because people have to do those public health measures of masks and social distancing and hand washing that, that can get this under control now. And then we can we can think about when we change, change that, if there's an effective vaccine. But the, the point you're making about trust is essential. Vaccines don't save lives. Vaccination does. And if people don't trust that a vaccine that's being recommended is safe and effective, and that politics is not part of the recommendation, uh, there are a lot of people who aren't going to want to get that, and that would be really devastating.
2: Dr. Richard Besser is the president and CEO of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, served as acting director of the CDC during the Obama administration.
1: Transparency is being demanded when it comes to a vaccine. People want to make sure that they will be safe when and if they get them. Pfizer and Moderna have revealed more information about how participants in clinical trials have been selected, and the conditions of those trials. But is that enough to make everybody feel confident?
2: Pfizer told the New York Times it usually doesn't do this kind of thing, release the protocols, but recognizes the pandemic is a unique circumstance and there's a need for transparency. We're going to talk about this with Dr. Eric Topol, chair for Innovative Medicine and director, founder of the Scripps Research Translational Institute, So, doctor, the president was speaking today um, saying that all Americans could get the vaccine by April. How can he be so sure when the drug companies really, they don't know anything yet?
4: No, they don't know anything yet. Uh, Yesterday, uh, through the pressure that uh, we applied, they were fortunate. uh, We
2: were fortunate to see the two
4: protocols of the leading trials that are closest to uh, completion. That is Moderna, who came out first, and then that led to Pfizer coming out later in the day. Each of them have at least 30,000 participants like yourself, which is a big thing. It's great that you're a part of a trial. Uh, And so those two trials will finish enrollment in the weeks ahead. That is, you know, sometime later this month. But that enrollment, as you know, is only part of the story. Then they have to, each person has to have a second dose. For Pfizer, that's three weeks later. For Moderna, that's four weeks later. Then the immune response kicks in fully a couple, few weeks later after that. So we're talking about November, you know, mid-November to get people out to their second dose and their expected immune response before we start to score these endpoints, which are infections, which the vaccines are supposed to prevent.
2: So how comfortable do you feel with what we've seen so far? And even, I guess, are they banking that they'll have clear evidence by november and at least a certain number of people because you have to wait for for the placebo group to try and go out and get the virus naturally and that takes time too but yeah well
4: yeah you well you have to wait to see both the placebo and the active vaccine yeah see if anybody gets what happens as you know the trials are being done in places where there's they're hot zones brazil the u.s south africa so you know people in their normal uh uh life, going to work, and and whatever they're doing, they will get exposed. And it takes time. And also, we want to know about safety. You know, there already was a couple of safety-significant issues we saw with the AstraZeneca uh, trial of the Oxford University vaccine. So there are a lot of uncertainties. And the worst thing about this is the rush job, the shortcuts. And the point is, this is so critical. This is probably the most important clinical trials that have been conducted Uh, in in many decades, maybe ever, because the implications of giving hundreds of millions of people, if not billions around the world, uh, a vaccine to try to prevent infections uh, needs to be effective and safe. And we don't know that. And rushing it is not a good idea.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, but I was reading some of your comments uh, this morning, and uh, I believe it was the New York Times. Uh, mm-hmm. You take issue with the way both Moderna and I think more particularly uh, Pfizer, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think it was Pfizer. The the number of the the endpoints where they could stop the trial earlier than the requisite two years. Is that right?
4: Right. So uh, there's two major critique points. Uh, one is. That across these both these trials, and it seems like all the trials, that is their endpoint includes and may be dominated by mild infections. So if you had uh, a headache and a sore throat, in fact, Pfizer, you can even just have one symptom, uh, that, and you have a positive test for the virus, that would constitute an infection. Well, that's just not that impressive and compelling. We'd like to see suppression of infections that were more than just symptoms like that, you know, that perhaps led to a hospitalization or the person really took ill. So that's disconcerting, uh, the softness of the endpoint. The second thing that you touched on is the looks midstream along the trials course. The more you keep looking, the more chances there might be for to, to declare that the vaccine is effective. And there are statistical adjustments for that, but this is bigger than a statistical decision. This is also involving the implications that are just you know, quite uh, important if you stop a trial and declare that it works. It not only has an effect on that program as far as people who got placebo, Uh, But it has an effect on all the programs because, you know, this idea that you have this one effective vaccine, why would you want to go into a placebo trial if you can get the the real deal? So this is uh, the implications of these vaccine trials in a race, taking shortcuts uh, and using endpoints that are not as high threshold. These are all disconcerting features.
2: Dr. Eric Tobel, Chair for Innovative Medicine, Director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute.
1: Medical bills can pile up on people, and they're getting harder and harder to pay now in the pandemic. A survey of 1,000 people from Debt.com found 56% of them have had medical debt sent to collections. That was since the pandemic started. Credit Karma did an analysis of its 20 million members, finding 45 billion dollars of medical debt in collections.
2: Are things just going to get worse and worse as the pandemic continues? Jennifer Bosco is an attorney specializing in medical debt issues at the National Consumer Law Center. So Jennifer, do a lot of these people have what would be considered good insurance policies and still there's this much debt?
5: Absolutely. Yeah, there's been, um, you know, an increase in the use of high deductible health plans that really put a lot of cost sharing onto the consumers. Um, And, you know, sometimes consumers might not realize they're seeing an out-of-network provider or there might be other reasons why their care isn't being covered the way they expected by their insurance.
2: I guess everyone thinks, okay, maybe it's some kind of chronic condition or it's a complicated surgery. I get it. That can go to a pretty shocking level when you get the bill. But based on how much savings, you know, the average person has, even if it's an ER visit or you get an MRI, and even if your insurance covers most of it, I mean, you're at $1,000, and if everybody saves only, you know, 400 for emergencies, well, there you go.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the cost of healthcare, care, unfortunately, um, just keeps going up. So this is a problem we've seen continue to worsen over the years. And, you know, we're at a point where, um, you know, over half of the items on credit reports right now are for medical debt in this country. And it's really a systemic problem.
1: Now, I know that uh, large medical institutions, places that do testing, that sort of thing, hospitals, they often say when you get bills, you know, if you got a problem and you can't pay, you know, let us know, we'll work with you. Do they work with us?
5: Well, there are um, requirements on hospitals to provide charity care or financial assistance. And so... You know, for some people who um, have a lower income, they can apply for those assistance programs um, with the hospitals. You can also reach out to your health care provider to negotiate a bill and, um, you know, maybe to go over the bill and ask if you can pay what they would have accepted from Medicare, for instance, instead of, um, you know, the higher price that you might be billed.
2: Is this a sooner rather than later kind of situation if I'm going to try and work out a payment plan? I need to do it before it's off to collections and there's somebody after me.
5: That's ideal, right, to, to try to work with the provider um, and to try to work with your insurance company as well, if there's something that should have been covered but wasn't. Consumers uh, often have appeal rights to challenge insurance company decisions.
1: On some things, is it better to ask what a cash price would be. I remember uh, an experience I had a few years ago uh, where something that I needed to have or actually wanted to have done, uh, they were saying, well, if you do through insurance with your copay, uh, you're probably going to end up paying a thousand. If you do the cash thing, it's 300 bucks, which seemed incredible to me, but I guess that's the way it works.
5: There are instances of that. I think, you know, that goes to the challenges with our healthcare system and some of the problems in the system. Healthcare prices are, are sort of all over the map sometimes. So that um in some instances that could save consumers money, but I think it's it's um it's hard to shop for healthcare the way you'd shop for, you know, a car or an item of clothing or something like
2: that. Options for those who have lost coverage. I guess if it's a job loss during this, there's always cobra, but Cobra's expensive.
5: Oh absolutely. Cobra is um you know, it's a good option for people who are in a position to afford it, but it can be unaffordable. Um, I think, you know, there uh, for the period of about 60 days after you lose your employer sponsored insurance, you can also um, go to the health insurance exchange, whether it's healthcare.gov or whether your state has an insurance exchange and um, purchase your own Plan And you might qualify for a subsidy. So there are some options for consumers, but I think not a lot of people know that there's a relatively short amount of time in some instances when you can buy your own coverage.
1: Medical debt, uh, especially delinquencies, if not necessarily bankruptcy uh, caused by it. used to be a real blemish on credit reports, which can affect the way people can afford, you know, get things like mortgages and apartment rentals, cars. You mentioned cars before. Has That's changed, though, has it not?
5: There are some relatively new protections for consumers. Um, There's now a 180-day delay before medical debt can be put on a credit report in most cases. And if insurance ultimately covers it, then that has to be noted on the credit report. Um, It also, uh, depending on the credit scoring model that's used, medical debt might not hurt your credit score as much as other types of debt could.
2: Jennifer Bosco, staff attorney specializing in medical debt issues at the National Consumer Law Center.
1: Movie theaters across the country teaming up to come up with new safety guidelines to reduce the chances of people getting sick with the virus while enjoying a new film. That would definitely be a downer. So are they working?
2: And what can we expect when watching a movie? KCBS's Stan Bunger talked to John Fithian, CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners, and asked about the master safety plan.
6: Theater owners across the country a couple of months ago uh, started working with leading epidemiologists, to create a comprehensive plan to ensure the health and safety of our patrons as they started to return to movie theaters. And that plan is called Cinema Safe, and the details can be found at cinemasafe.org. And many of those theater operators in places like Napa and Marin that are opening up now are following those plans, and so will the operators in San Francisco when we get open in San Francisco.
1: Okay. In general, what is the experience going to be like if I go to a movie under this?
6: So the experience is different from the beginning to the end of the process. You'll still be able to go to the cinema with your family or your group of friends. But when you buy your tickets online ahead of time, uh, your group of seats will be together. But the algorithms in the ticketing system automatically block seats around you to ensure social distancing inside the auditorium. There's social distancing requirements in the lobbies and in the bathrooms. Uh, And then there's a mandatory mask policy for all of our employees and our guests. Uh, you can remove your masks when you're seated in the auditorium and eating your popcorn, of course, but you have to put them back on when you're done. Uh, and our, our staff is trained in in all kinds of new cleaning techniques. Uh, the frequency of the cleaning has increased dramatically, as have the proper chemicals that we're using. Uh, we've staggered our movie showtimes so that we can clean in between the showtimes. Uh, and then the the other two big aspects of the protocols involve how Concessions are prepared and served uh, with uh, protocols on cleaning and contact. You won't be able to apply your own butter to your popcorn or refill your soda cups anymore because we want to reduce the contact between the staff and the guests. And the final element involves uh, the ventilation systems to make sure that they're operating properly, cleaned, using more outdoor air, uh, and in some cases, filters where that is appropriate. Yeah, that, so that all like- the experience.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, that last one seems like the, the biggest one everything we're learning now is that you know, better uh, air transport, more outdoor air. And so forth. how are theaters handling that? Because sometimes these are older buildings.
6: Yeah, well, first of all, it's important to point out that that COVID particles are transmitted by people who are talking or singing or engaged in uh, heavy physical activity. Uh, that's what makes the particles move the fastest in, in the world today. And so... When people are in a movie theater, they're, they're seated, they're not engaged in heavy physical activity, and they're generally not talking or, or singing. So the movie theater environment is actually much safer in terms of airflow of the particles than, say, going to church or even going to a restaurant. Uh, but nonetheless, we want to make sure that the air is as clean as it can possibly be. So one thing to note is that in multiplex theaters, Generally, every auditorium has its own air conditioner unit. We're not spreading air from one auditorium to the next or from the lobby to the auditorium. Secondly, we're bringing in as much outdoor air into the system as possible now. And then third, in some locations, it makes sense to add additional filtering systems to the air conditioning system where that's appropriate. And in some of those older buildings, that might be the case.
1: All right. We appreciate the time this morning. John Fithian is CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners. When it comes to the economy, the pandemic has wrecked all kinds of things. The housing market stood strong early on, but there could be some cracks in the foundations now.
2: Will we get another relief bill before the election? To answer that, friend of the podcast, David Fiorenza, Villanova School of Business. He was on with KYW's Matt Leon about this housing and other economic issues.
0: Well, what we're seeing here is, uh, first of all, a crazy, insane housing market that's basically based on supply and demand right now. Uh, It's a high buyer demand and low supply. I think uh, interest rates being low is a good thing. But the other part of it is with the housing starts and the way governments, local and city governments are running right now, it's getting a little bit more difficult to get approvals of your subdivisions and getting zoning variances because people are not meeting in person. They're meeting by Zoom, let's say. Uh, So the process is a little bit slowed right now. So I was surprised to see that. I also think companies are holding on to cash as well as as strip malls and and shopping malls and even universities. are not going delving into and diving into building new buildings or putting additions on right now. They're waiting to see what's happening oh, in the next six months or year, and they're even waiting to see what happens with the election.
7: Think this starts a trend or because uh, housing starts had been pretty good, no?
0: They had been pretty good, and all other indicators I saw were doing very well. And then this past week, you see things like retail sales slowing uh, in August, and usually August was is a very good month because of back-to-school, so to speak, if you want to call it, back-to-school sales and things like that. Uh, both durable and non-durable goods had been slowing a little bit, so the economy, instead of heating up, it's actually starting to slow down. And then you had Jerome Powell in the Federal Reserve, rightly so, saying, let's keep interest rates stable through not just next year, but even the year after. That's a good thing for people who want to borrow. It may not be a good thing for people who want who have idle cash and just want to earn some interest.
7: You mentioned Jerome Powell and the uh, Federal Reserve. I think they said remain near zero through like 2023. What, some other remarks from the Fed, and we've kind of gone back to this. Uh, you still think the Fed's doing as good a job as possible here?
0: I think they're doing a pretty good job on, on low inflation. I know people may not like low interest rates. I, I understand that if you're a senior citizen living on a fixed income and you're trying to eke out a little bit of interest earnings, but I think he's trying to watch out for inflation. The concern is we don't want inflation of, of, of double digits or even 5 or 6%. We don't have that right now. I don't think we're going to get to that. But he also wants to make credit available to businesses and to banks so that maybe we can spur the economy that way. He's used a lot of tools in the last couple of months to try to keep this economy going, and they've done a pretty good job of it. I think the Federal Reserve is going to continue to be a monitoring um, interest rates, inflation, unemployment, and they're going to continue to. Them- To monitor the money supply as well to see that banks have enough cash on hand so they can go out and loan to people as well as businesses.
7: Still no coronavirus relief bill or another one. And I don't know, it really looked like it was dead. Then I thought early in the week you saw some signs. The White House really kind of put out how anxious they are to send out more of those direct payments. Uh, What do you think? We're You know, less than two months from the election, do you think we see another uh, stimulus bill before the election, or do you think it is what it is at this point?
0: Well, a couple things are happening. I know a few of the uh, U.S. representatives on Wednesday introduced some proposals to extend the Paycheck Protection Program, the three Ps, which actually allows small businesses, uh, people who have 300 employees or less, to apply for a second loan. Uh, now with that being said there's still 138 billion dollars remaining in the first cares act which had 2.2 trillion so with that money still remain, remaining out there i think what i see sometimes with government is it's gridlock or it's cumbersomeness. um the money's out there it 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 needs to be released. I think you can make it an easier process. And if the people are not supposed to be getting the money, it'll eventually get returned, which is what happened to some of these larger companies as well. But we've been in, a, I think, Matt, a month long standoff over this coronavirus deal uh, with both sides um, still fighting and rejecting certain, certain things. The pandemic has left many of us stuck
1: at home and totally bored. With the shutdowns lasting as long as they have, a lot of people are desperate to do anything they can. Qantas, the Australian airline, has picked up on this sentiment. It's scheduled a seven-hour scenic flight to nowhere. The plane will take off October 10th out of Sydney, then landing back in Sydney. There are no stops. <laughs> Same planned. place you
2: got on the plane is where you're getting off.
1: And you know what? What happens if they lose your luggage? <laughs> a backpack I brought? Well, the uh, flight is promising passengers (laughs) low-level, no kidding, low-level scenic views of things like the Great Barrier Reef. And if you're wondering who would want to take a flight to nowhere, the answer, apparently a lot of people, 134 available seats sold out in only 10 minutes.
2: Hey, man, people want some sense of normalcy. Get on that plane. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Listen to us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.
1: I would go on that if
2: I can go first class. Just you up there. Yeah. Nobody else. <laughs>